we need to talk about the rule of law. A podcast by Verfassungsblock and Deutscher Anwaltsverein. Welcome to the sixth episode of Defending the Defenders, the rule of law podcast by Verfassungsblock and Deutscher Anwaltverein. Today, we want to talk about the European Union and the state of the professional freedom of attorneys there. Within the jurisdiction of the European Union, there are a number of issues attorneys and their associations are worried about. The right to defense and legal services, as well as the attorney-client relationship is being targeted in an unjustified manner in areas such as the fight against money laundering or terrorism, as well as in sanction packages against Russian corporations in the wake of Russia's ongoing war against Ukraine, they say, and point to a larger problem. EU institutions feel differently, however. They see the instruments under criticism as a proportionate way to address the professional freedom of lawyers, as well as the right to defense on the one side and general interests on the other side. We talk to both sides to learn more about the concerns as well as the regulator's reasons. My first guest today is James McGill. He is an attorney from Ireland and in 2022, when we conducted the interview, he was the president of the Council of Bars and Law Societies of Europe, the CCBE, and he has spoken to us in this capacity. The sound quality worries a bit. My apologies for that. James, thank you for talking to us. To begin with, what is the relation of European Union institutions on the one hand and bar associations on the other hand when it comes to regulating the profession of lawyer in the European Union? Well, of course, I mean, um, independent bars and law societies are the primary regulators of the legal profession and the European Union as such doesn't regulate our professional activities generally, but clearly they have an input in respect of some matters. And I suppose initially it started on the relatively benign topics of establishment to practice, providing services under the services directive and the recognition of educational qualifications and the establishment of the register of European lawyers. But then more laterally, it's moved into uh, areas that are certainly more problematic for us. And I think the first in time would be the anti-money laundering directives, which have led to a compromise in the previously understood relationship between the lawyer and the client, where lawyers were required to pass information concerning their clients to the authorities in certain circumstances. And that uh, has continued. We're now on to the sixth uh, anti-money laundering directive, which is really a topic of great concern to us. And, and perhaps in a later question, I'll, I'll give you some of our uh, real concerns. And then topically, because of the illegal invasion uh, of Ukraine, there are well-intended measures uh, which uh, will support the seizure and confiscation of uh, criminal proceeds uh, and uh, the establishment of sanctions. And while these measures are well-intentioned and while we support the objective of these measures as we support the war against money laundering and terrorist financing, there can sometimes, even in a well-intended measure, be unintended but negative consequences. And the compromising of uh, the right of lawyers to provide uh, their services where they're needed and uh, the invasion of lawyer-client confidentiality are real concerns for us presently. So you're saying 
in certain regards, the EU doesn't emphasize the right to defense enough? Well, I, I think you're taking the, the, the um, eighth sanctions measure uh, dealing with services. I mean, it happened very quickly. And when things are dealt with quickly and maybe of necessity in the present situation, that is the only way to do it, uh, there can be gaps in the thinking and the definitions might be too loose and uh, the Commission clearly accept that they can't ever ask a lawyer or can never put a person in a position of not being able to secure representation before courts and tribunals. Uh, and that is a service that can still be provided. But it's a little less clear as to whether or not uh, the exercise of ascertaining the legal position for a client is a permitted or an impermissible activity at the present time. And we're trying to get clarity on that. And of course, uh, one of the difficulties with the sanctions measures, which the Commission are trying to overcome this time, is that in 2014, uh, the measures were applied in all sorts of different ways in different member states, leading to confusion and inequality. So we want to try and avoid that on this occasion and to ensure that the law is clear enough so that colleagues will understand when they are required not to provide a service and when they are permitted to provide a service. What would be your alternative in the field of money laundering? Would you put bar associations, for example, in charge of controlling attorneys as a self-regulating body? Well, I think the first point we would like to make is that based on the information we have available to us, there is a very high level of consciousness among lawyers as to what their obligations are in terms of not becoming involved in any form of professional activity that they assist in tending money launderers. And we believe that lawyers actually dissuade people from seeking legal services for that purpose, because we do take the reporting obligation seriously. And the fact that there, that there are bodies who think that the number of reports are too few, well, they should back up their beliefs with evidence, because we believe that uh, there are a reasonable number of reports for the amount of activity being undertaken by compliant lawyers. Obviously, in any sphere of activity, any part of life, there will be people willing to commit criminal acts. And mm -hmm. if they do so, they should be prosecuted as criminals. They don't enjoy any protection as professionals when they are complicit in the crime of their client. But we do believe that it's a little bit facile for people to suggest a, that money laundering enabled by lawyers is wholesale. I mean, there's no evidence for that. And we think that the sixth money laundering directive should be disapplied to lawyers unless and until there is some evidence to suggest that that's the only way to deal with the issue because invading lawyer client confidentiality is too high a price to pay absent evidence. And the intended overarching anti-money laundering authority with the power to give directions to bars and law societies and individual lawyers in individual cases a, is a gross invasion of the independence of the profession, which is a major part of access to justice and supporting the rule of law. And you can't just you know, take a step of that kind a, where there is no evidence to justify it. So given everything you've talked about, what is the state of the freedom of the profession of lawyer in the EU at the moment? 
Well, I, I think the um, anti-money laundering authority is a high level interference with the independence of the profession. Mm-hmm. And it's one that is not justified. And there are alternatives, which are to educate the national uh, authorities so that they will improve on their laws if there are if they believe that there is conduct that is being engaged in that should be illegal. It's they're the lawmakers; they should make that conduct illegal. But until and unless they do, um, lawyers can only advise on the law as it is. Um, so I think that, that that certainly is a high level interference. I think the services measure is um, a very significant uh, restriction on the right of certain Russian corporate bodies to get legal services and a restriction on the right of lawyers to provide those services. I think that the general view among lawyers is they need more detail and clarity and to see how this is applied in practice because it's a balancing exercise. And the scale of this war, particularly at the present time, is such that any step that can be taken to bring the invasion to an end has to be viewed seriously and sympathetically. And I think we were greatly comforted that an additional step wasn't taken of preventing lawyers providing representation in court proceedings and securing a legal outcome for their clients, because that would have amounted to, in our opinion, a breach of Article 6 of the Convention and of Article 47 of the Charter. So that additional step wasn't taken, but we need to see how proportionate the application of the existing step is. What does the European Union do to protect the professional freedom of attorneys in its member states, particularly in those states where the rule of law is under attack, such as Poland or Hungary? I don't. I, I think it's, it's it's saying too much to say that the commission is critical of the work that lawyers do. And in certain fields, I meant, yeah. Yeah, and I, I think in point of fact, if you look at the most recent rule of law reports, uh, they have identified the important role played by lawyers and the important role played by bar associations and lawyers' organisations in ensuring that the rule of law and access to justice are um, available to citizens. And I think that there have been quite a number of measures, we can talk about them later, on the criminal procedure safeguard side that demonstrate that it is understood the important role of the lawyer in providing representation to accused person. So I think it's not it's not the case that a the commission are hostile to lawyers generically. It certainly is the case that there is a belief uh, not supported by evidence uh, that the um, profession are not doing enough to combat money laundering and that is perhaps something that we should have given more attention to in terms of reminding the commission that in addition to our um, obligations as lawyers to our clients we have obligations to courts and to the administration of justice and those uh, obligations taken together really militate heavily against turning a blind eye to anything that is criminal. Uh, and a lot of the discussion uh, that we've had in the past from people talking about professional enablers, they will not give the evidence and they will not give the examples because uh, it's very difficult to conceive, in my opinion, 
of activities that are as, you know, contrary to the administration of justice, as people suggest, that do not sound in individual criminal offences. And more could be done to prosecute those offences. We've no sympathy for lawyers who commit crime for the benefit of their clients. It, more could be done to analyse what gaps in um, legislation exist that are being exploited. I mean, at the end of the day, it's national governments make the rules on taxation. And if they make a rule that is porous and can be um, uh, circumvented, it would then that's their responsibility to, to correct their own error. I mean, they have the resources, the time and the expertise to make laws that work. Uh, and they shouldn't be blaming lawyers when they make laws that don't work. And again, on the rule of law topic, for example, regarding Poland, disciplinary measures against judges are at the center of the rule of law discourse in the European Union. Do you feel that the Commission, for example, does enough to highlight attacks on lawyers and their work as well? Well, I, I think that the Commission, through their activities and the measures that have been invoked against Poland, have demonstrated that uh, it's not acceptable for uh, governments to put in their favorite pet judges mm. to do the government's bidding and to subvert the primacy of union law and you know the, the, the penalties that have been and will be applied to poland they are a very clear message that the rule of law is more important than the political success of a given grouping and we're obviously naturally very supportive of the efforts of our colleagues and i know you've interviewed michelai patriarch um, in protecting the judges because you know the judges are very yes. vulnerable in this situation and um you know we stand by our colleagues of course uh, but we also stand by our colleagues when they stand by the judiciary how do you assess the state of private attacks on the freedom of lawyers in the eu for example by slap suits well there's a number of topics there as we try to take them individually i mean slap is um you know used very casually by some vested interest because clearly it's wrong uh, that the truth is suppressed by improperly motivated litigation and we welcome the suggestion that certain types of litigation would require the approval of a court before they could be commenced so it wouldn't be simply self-executing and that you couldn't use a uh, court proceedings for an improper purpose but it must also be borne in mind that wealthy media interests benefit from people not being able to bring defamation proceedings against them when they have told untruthful things and damaged their reputations. So access to justice is, is something that must be taken into account when we think about slaps. Lawyers who act uh, unethically by bringing proceedings that are wholly misconceived and simply there to oppress or to starve their opponent of resources. Well, that's unethical behavior. I mean, you know, every jurisdiction has rules restraining lawyers from engaging in that sort of conduct. But at the same time, we can't shut off access to justice to people who need protection simply because it's in a category of cases where a journalist should not be sued. A journalist should, of course, be sued when the journalist is wrong and has defamed somebody or acted improperly in any other way. So that sort of deals with slaps. Dealing with the attacks on individual lawyers, there's always been a concern about Uh, governments seeking to demonize individual lawyers uh, for, for the work that they do. 
associating them with the uh, objectives of their clients. So people who defend persons accused of terrorist crime are not terrorists themselves. They're simply doing a professional job. There's a recent uh, example in the United Kingdom where lawyers representing migrants uh, were attacked quite publicly by senior politicians. Uh, and this is, uh, you know, this is impermissible. Uh, the union have brought out the presumption of innocence, a measure which, you know, highlights the risk of public statements by prominent people suggesting guilt on the part of an accused is a bad thing. And of course, it follows that public attacks on lawyers is also something that is reprehensible and that we are very much against. Now, there are two positive developments in this area. One is a Council of Europe initiative, and the other is a mirror version of it uh, with the European Union. And the Council of Europe are engaged in a several year long consultation process about the possibility of introducing a convention on the profession of lawyer. And that measure uh, under discussion would include protections like the entitlement to independence, the entitlement to be free from interference, not being associated with the acts of your client, the maintenance of lawyer-client confidentiality, uh, the strong position of independent bar associations, a uh, protection from arbitrary search, seizure and arrest, uh, and other topics of similar importance. And we believe that such an instrument would uh, very much improve the profession of lawyer by giving these protections that the member states who sign that measure must respect they take on a positive obligation. And under the French presidency, a similar a European Union measure has been tabled for discussion. And uh, it is to be hoped that that will also uh, progress. Uh, and ultimately, we will have protections for people who are, after all, at very personal risk, uh, simply doing their job. Why do you think has the Convention on the Profession of Lawyer been initiated in the Council of Europe rather than in the European Union? Yeah, I'd like to know more about the history of it than I do know, but my suspicion is that the reason it started in the Council of Europe is that the Council of Europe, with a broader um, uh, membership, has seen more examples of misconduct uh, visited against lawyers by politicians mm -hmm. and others, uh, and that there would be certainly a great need in some Council of Europe countries that are not members of the European Union to have stronger supports for the rule of law. And the measures that are being discussed are not especially controversial. Uh, they are important to the exercise of the profession of law so that the lawyers can provide for their clients access to justice and thereby support the rule of law. Uh, they are in many countries and in many instances simply non-controversial until they are broken in individual cases. And the protection is needed to be there in advance so that governments don't uh, target uh, individual lawyers in individual cases because they're bound by a voluntary exercise on their part of signing up to the convention. And um, it's a really important thing to have a black letter law measure. Uh, we believe it should be a binding instrument. There's a possibility that it will be open to uh, signatories from outside the Council of Europe as well, because worldwide these are, are issues that concern lawyers. And where lawyers are under threat uh, about providing representation,
the temptation for people. Everybody suffers. So it's an attack on lawyers, but through them, it's an attack on society. What can a professional self-organization such as the CCBE do to help defending the defenders when they are under attack, for example, in Poland, but outside of Europe as well? Our primary function is to represent our member bars and law societies. And where they become under a institutional threat, as in Poland, a, then we a, do what we can for them. And the first most important thing is to make a statement of principle, highlighting the misconduct that is visited upon our colleagues and showing solidarity with them. And I can assure you that that means an awful lot to colleagues because domestically they're being portrayed as being the problem. And when we can internationally show that they're simply upholding mm. the highest traditions of the legal profession, that gives them material with which to, to win the, 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 the war for public opinion. Then when it becomes a case of individual lawyers, whether in a, our member states or elsewhere, well, then we can take an interest in individual cases. We can write to governments pointing out a, that their treatment of individual lawyers a, falls below the, the UN guarantees. A, but regrettably, we have to write many of those letters most recently on behalf of our colleagues in Iran. And we had to make, a, we made a public statement in support of the colleagues who are simply a, doing their job of representing protesters who are protesting against a, you know, arbitrary and, and, and illegal measures. When colleagues are placed on trial, a, we can on occasion send observers to those trials so that they are in a position to provide a first-hand account of the shortcomings in the administration of justice. And in many cases, we find that our intervention by being present as witnesses with that expertise in the rule of law changes the outcomes. Um, we have a, you know, taken public positions on behalf of colleagues in the past, uh, you know, Turkey is another recent example. Uh, I regret to say that probably there isn't a week goes by that we don't have to write several letters highlighting um, injustices suffered by lawyers simply for doing their job, uh, including uh, prevention of practicing their profession, imprisonment and even death. And finally, I wanted to ask you what are measures necessary on the European level to protect the right to legal services and the professional freedom of lawyers in the coming years? Yeah, well, I mean, I think we need to continue the constructive discourse that we have with the Commission. Mm. Uh, and, you know, we, we welcome the opportunity to participate in consultation with the Commission to look at their measures and point out where there may be some, uh, you know, unnecessary and unjustified Uh, restrictions on the independence of lawyers and of the rights of clients to consult confidentially. Um, the Commission are not, as I discussed earlier, they're not anti-lawyer. I mean, the, the, the measure on access to a lawyer in criminal proceedings is a very good measure. Mm -hmm. The measure on legal aid is a good measure. The measure on the right to information and interpretation and translation, these are all good measures. Uh, so we, we are happy to cooperate with the Commission because we believe that they want to support the rule of law. We certainly want to support the rule of law. 
And sometimes it takes people coming from two ends of the same telescope uh, to realize where the, the, the solution can be found. And uh, you know, we're happy to be constructive. We're engaging, of course. We're doing everything we can uh, to um, support the measures being taken against uh, Vladimir Putin's regime. Uh, and we will continue to do so. Thank you very much, James, for your take on the issue. Now I want to hear from my second guest in this episode. Florian Geier is head of unit responsible for justice policy and the rule of law in the Directorate General for Justice and Consumers at the European Commission. Florian, thank you for being here. So to begin with, I would like to ask you, what is the state of the independence of lawyers in the European Union at the moment? And what are challenges to the freedom of the profession that the Commission has identified? Yes, uh, thank you. Uh, lawyers and their professional associations play a fundamental role in ensuring the protection of fundamental rights, including the right to a fair trial and the strengthening of the rule of law. A fair system of administering justice requires that lawyers be free to pursue their activities of advising and representing their clients. The lawyer's membership of a liberal profession and the authority deriving from that membership helps to maintain independence. And the bar associations play an important role in helping to guarantee lawyers' independence. European standards require, among others, Uh, the freedom of exercise of the profession of lawyer, the independence of the bar associations, and they also lay down the basic principles of disciplinary proceedings against lawyers. Now, the Commission closely monitors in the context of different instruments, such as the EU Justice Scoreboard and the Annual Rule of Law Report, um, the situation of lawyers in the European Union. In the Justice Scoreboard, And, and based on, on data collected also together with the CCBE, the European Umbrella Association of Lawyers, uh, we have included for a, few, for a few years now a chart on the independence of lawyers and bars. And this chart looks at various factors, such as the independence of the bar from the executive, the guarantees for confidentiality of the lawyer-client relationship, or the independence of the body initiating and taking disciplinary measures and the possibility of judicial review in disciplinary matters. Broadly, based on this data that we have in the Justice Scoreboard, broadly we can see that in most member states, all or almost all of the criteria we included are ensured, which speaks for an overall high level of the structural independence of the profession in Europe. In addition to this comparative overview, we of course also follow from a more qualitative approach uh, the developments that are related to the situation of lawyers in the context of the annual rule of law report. The rule of law report, for those unfamiliar, is at the center of the annual monitoring cycle through which the Commission tries to detect challenges at an early stage. It also serves as a basis for dialogue at European and national level and to allow member states to exchange on rule of law questions. The third edition of the report was adopted on the 13th of July 2022. And each year we gather input from different sources for this report through written contributions, 
from member states, from stakeholders, um, and also to a large extent from, from lawyers. Uh, we have received written contributions each year from the CCBE and from many national bars. And we meet with the national bars and with lawyer associations uh, in all EU member states, in fact. So we, we meet, we speak, we speak face to face. We try to uh, gather evidence on the situation on the ground. And we report on these findings then in the annual rule of law report. And on this basis, we identified a number uh, of different trends regarding the situation of lawyers in Europe. There are certain positive developments. Some member states took steps towards facilitating access uh, to a lawyer to justice. For example, in Latvia, the Supreme Court affirmed that lawyers' participation in court proceedings is essential for ensuring the right to a fair trial and ruled in favor of lawyers' right to access information to exercise their function. In Luxembourg, legislation to make legal aid more accessible was developed jointly by the Ministry of Justice and the Luxembourg Bar Association. In Lithuania, a reform of the legal aid system is being prepared. And for both Luxembourg and Lithuania, we have addressed rule of law recommendations to continue on this positive path and to conclude these reforms. At the same time, there are also challenges in this respect. In Ireland, for example, high litigation costs and shortcomings within the legal aid system continue to raise concerns, while work is ongoing to address those challenges. Again, we have addressed a recommendation to Ireland to address this challenge. And one essential element of the freedom of exercise of legal professions is the respect of the confidentiality of the relationship with clients. Council of Europe recommendations, uh, Council of Europe recommendations make clear that any exceptions to the principle of secrecy must be compatible with rule of law principles. In the case of Lithuania, the report notes that questions regarding the respect for professional secrecy of lawyers are pending before the Court of Human Rights. And of course, the report also took note of the fact that lawyers have been subject to surveillance through the Pegasus spyware, which is an issue of concern and, of course, a topic that is subject to ongoing monitoring. The rule of law requires that the recourse to such tools by member state security services is subject to sufficient control uh, and that it fully respects EU law, including fundamental rights, such as the protection of personal data, safety of journalists and freedom of expression. And the use of surveillance measures in criminal investigations also have to respect procedural rights, including the rights of defendants. Robust institutional checks and balances are therefore needed to guarantee the functioning, cooperation and mutual control of state organs so that power is exercised by one state authority under the scrutiny of others. Thank you very much for this uh, comprehensive overview. You've briefly mentioned the Council of Europe, where, a, where an instrument um, aiming to bolster the professional freedom of lawyers is currently under discussion, the Convention of the Profession of Lawyer. I wanted to ask you what the Commission's perspective on this convention is and whether similar measures are being discussed in the EU at the moment. Hmm. So indeed, we are aware uh, uh, that the question of drawing up a European convention on the legal professions is the subject of a recommendation from the, from the Parliamentary Assembly of the Council of Europe, 
and we take good good note of the ongoing work within the European Legal Cooperation Committee uh, in this regard, including uh, the feasibility study of a new instrument. And the Commission's delegation in Strasbourg is following uh, this process closely. At EU level, the Commission has at its disposal uh, the instruments that I also mentioned in, in the first question to ensure uh, that lawyers' independence is protected. We have the, the monitoring of the rule of law report. Um, and in serious cases of interference, in principle, the Commission may also initiate infringement procedures. At the same time, we, from an EU law perspective and within the European Union, the profession of lawyer is regulated from the point of view of freedom to provide services in the first place. And incidentally, and that's also a more recent development uh, in criminal law directives, such as the Directive on the Right to Information in Criminal Proceedings or the Directive on the Right of Access to a Lawyer, so the Criminal Procedural Directives. Under the, the French Council Presidency, that was last year, um, there was in fact an exchange of views among the justice ministers um, on the, the European Convention on the Legal Profession and also on uh, the question of an EU instrument or a Council of Europe instrument uh, on the protection of the legal profession. And this ministerial discussion shows also the attention that is given at the EU level uh, to this topic. In this debate between the justice ministers, member states agreed on the essential role of lawyers for the protection of the rule of law and citizens' rights of access to justice and on the need to protect their independence highlighting as well that there is national legislation in place in this regard. Several member states recalled the ongoing work uh, of the Council of Europe regarding the creation of the instrument and the need to avoid duplication. A number of them also recalled the importance of monitoring and continuous monitoring uh, in the context of the rule of law report. So this is, to conclude, it's an issue uh, that we follow that we follow closely. Uh, the work at the Council of Europe, um, and in addition, the, the regular discussions that are taking place also among the ministers in the European Parliament uh, always touches also on these issues, and this is uh, something that is, that is being also closely watched with great interest at the European Union level. Thank you. Still, I wanted to address some criticism aimed at the Commission recently. Lawyers' associations such as the CCBE criticize the Commission's take on the attorney-client relationship, which you have named as one of the main elements of the legal profession that need protection as well. One example they name are the anti-money laundering directives, which oblige attorneys to provide information regarding their clients under certain circumstances. How do you assert the role of attorneys within the legal system in this regard and at which point do you see a justification for impacting the privileges of attorney-client relationships? Mm -hmm. No, no, indeed, we are, we are of course aware of the, of the criticism mm -hmm. um, that has been raised, it continues to be raised by the, the professional organization. We also hear this criticism uh, when we speak uh, in the context of the rule of law report mm -hmm. uh, with the national chapters of the bar associations, but also um, at the level of the umbrella organizations and, um, and the representations of the bar. Um, and indeed, the Commission attaches great importance to the principle of the legal 
professional privilege. As I mentioned in in this year's rule of law report, we flagged this also in the in the communication that accompanies all the country chapters. Uh, how important it is uh, to respect the confidentiality of the relationship with clients, um, and we are sure that also the democratically elected parliamentarians in the European Parliament and the ministers in the Council, who are in the end uh, the legislators. Uh, at the European Union level and who negotiate, um, discuss and then adopt in a democratically and legislative correct process the the laws and the directives at the EU level attach a similarly great importance to, uh, to this principle. Um, and it's in the end a question now looking at the, and speaking more precisely on the anti-money laundering directives, um, it's a question of getting the proportionality principle right. So, on the one hand, protecting the lawyer-client privilege, and on the other hand, trying to pursue uh, an objective of general interest, which is the fight against money laundering, mm -hmm. the fight against terrorist financing. Um, and this, as in, in any kind of regulation, be it at national or at EU level, uh, needs to be brought, you know, within the wider context of the application uh, of the law, the rule of law, the proportionality principle, and to get that right. Uh, and in fact, the question of the relationship between the legal professional privilege and the rules on the prevention of money laundering has been discussed and decided uh, already in 2007 before the Court of Justice in the Ordre de Barreau Francophone Germanophone, um, but also in the uh, in Strasbourg at the European Court of Human Rights in 2012, Michaud versus France. And both judgments concluded that the rules established by the AML, so the anti-money laundering directors at the time, and namely the scope of the lawyers' activities, which contained also a clear exclusion of litigation activities, as well as the obligations regarding the exchange of information, the transmission of suspicious uh, suspicions to the competent authorities were in line with Article 6 and 8 uh, of the European Convention on, on Human Rights. Um, to ensure the respect of this particular sector, two safeguards are in place and maintained in the new package on the anti-money laundering. That's on the one hand um, a special scope and treatment regarding the subjection to anti-money laundering rules and then a special supervisory system with the possibility for member states to establish a self-regulatory body uh, to act on the one hand as a supervisory authority and on the other hand as an intermediary between the lawyers and the financial intelligence units. Uh, the addition of this new layer of supervision uh, in the commissions and in the view of the, of the legislator, the parliament and the council, will not impede the safeguards on the independence of lawyer of lawyers this new layer is only there to address objective deficiency that have been identified in the oversight and to enable convergence between the practices across the european union speaking of general interest is the professional freedom of lawyers something that is under threat in situations that call for fast action um, I'm asking because the CCBE has pointed out that parts of the sanctions package of the European Union restrict the right to legal services of certain Russian corporations too much. 
this of course is a highly problematic topic at the moment, but what is the reason for that and how might that be justified? Yeah, thank you. Also another, another highly um, contentious issue, an interesting mm -hmm. issue um, that I had the, the opportunity also to, to discuss uh, directly with the bars in, in, a, in a conference that was organized by them, by the Czech uh, presidency at the end of, of last year. Um, now the council adopted the restrictive uh, the restrictive measures on on legal services against Russia in response to Russia's further aggression against Ukraine. The organization of illegal sham referenda in the parts of the Donetsk, Kherson, Luhansk, and Zaporizhia regions illegally occupied by Russia, the illegal annexation of those Ukrainian regions, as well as the mobilization in the Russian Federation and its repeated threat to use weapons of mass destruction. The Council has a large margin of appreciation when it comes to uh, measures, decisions in the area of the common foreign and security policy um, with the specific objectives that are mentioned also in the Treaty on European Union. And in order to, to address, to hit Russia's economy, which is highly dependent on the import of services from European companies, the EU has indeed prohibited the provision of certain business-related services to the government of Russia mm -hmm. and to Russian legal persons, entities or bodies. The prohibition on legal advice was added in October to reinforce that pressure on Russia's industrial capacity. This prohibition is limited to advisory services to the Russian government and to legal persons established in Russia. So it does not apply to individuals. I think that's one important point already mm -hmm. to flag. The sanctions on legal advisory services have been designed so as to preserve access to justice and the rights of the defense. And legal advisory services include the provision of legal advice to customers in non-contentious matters, including commercial transactions involving the application or interpretation of law, it's the participation with or on behalf of clients in commercial transactions, negotiations and other dealings with third parties, and the preparation, execution and verification of legal documents. A specific article in that council regulation, that's Article 5N, um, explicitly exclude from the ban the provision of services that are strictly necessary for the exercise of the right of defense in judicial proceedings and the right to an effective legal remedy. And it also excludes to ensure access to judicial, administrative or arbitral proceedings in a member state or for the recognition or enforcement of a judgment or an arbitration award that was rendered in a member state, provided that such provisions of services is consistent with the objective of the regulation and, and one other sanctions regime. So in general, the restriction on legal services is subject to several derogations and exemptions, including exemptions that are aimed at ensuring the exercise of the rights of defense and the right to an effective legal remedy. Uh, so it's not a, a blanket ban. It's not like, uh, you know, a, a, a very brutal. Mm -hmm. it's, it's tried to be a targeted measure uh, that, uh, in addition, is um, part it's, it's limited in time, it's regularly reviewed, um, and on top, and that is uh, why I also 
would be prevented from saying much more. It's also currently uh, subject to a challenge at the Court of Justice, uh, so the interpretation of this prohibition. Uh, so it's it's an it's subjudice. It's an ongoing proceedings, uh, mm -hmm. which will prevent me from going deeper into into this matter at that time. Uh, but it's it, the attempt of the legislator was to have a targeted and proportionate response uh, to uh, the situation, no blanket ban, and uh, and we will see if the court will uphold uh, this targeted uh, approach or whether it will uh, rule it uh, not in line with EU law. Uh, and this has to be seen in, in the ongoing court proceedings. Thank you. Still a larger point of critique that maybe relates to what we just talked about as well is that certain measures on the EU level seem to frame attorneys as enablers of criminal conduct. Do you agree with that criticism? Do you see whatever small it may be a base for it? Mm -hmm. Thanks a lot. I think I would. I don't see that criticism. I, I would not subscribe mm -hmm. to this criticism. I think um, both the European Commission, um, but again also the legislator, the European Parliament, uh, the Council of Ministers, um, they are bound by the Charter of Fundamental Rights in all, in all their actions, in their legislative activity. And the, the protection of the lawyer-client privilege is guaranteed at the EU level through Article 7 of the Charter as a fundamental right, through Article 47 of the Charter, um, which concerns the, the provisions on the right to an effective legal remedy. Um, and it is enshrined within there and, and the, the guarantees also is also uh, complemented at the Council of Europe um, through Article 6 and Article 8 of the European Convention on Human Rights. And it's the EU institutions which are bound to respect these provisions and to ensure that in, in their activity it is guaranteed. Now, what, what the legislator, what the policy makers try to achieve is, is to pursue you know, objectives of general interest, mm -hmm. genuine and legitimate policy objectives. And that in some cases could mean you know, that we try to raise, um, for instance, criminal procedural safeguards, um, as we have done here uh, on the side of DG Justice, um, in 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 the couple of last years, uh, but it could also mean uh, that we try to tackle an issue like in the anti-money laundering, like in tax evasion, like in countering terrorist financing, um, and it's the job to try to find, as I also mentioned before, to ensure that these interventions, as much as they might be necessary um, to achieve uh, to achieve these objectives, and as much as they might, in the pursuit of this objective, might constitute limitations or interferences with the lawyer client privilege um, that these are is done in an in an objective uh, and in a, in a proportional way in mm -hmm. line with article 52 um, of the charter and i don't want to i don't want to to pretend that that the legislator always gets it right uh, neither is it the case you know at the national level uh, nor is it the case at the eu level and that's where the, the court and the role of courts come in and where the legislator has to respect and the court's decision. Um, and I think in this respect, we have seen in, in uh, just at the end of the year uh, in the field of taxation um, that indeed, you know, like the legislator at EU level didn't get it right uh, and infringed the lawyer-client privilege 
in a way that uh, the court in Luxembourg did not find justified. Uh, that was in their decision C694 out of 20, the order from Flams, the values and others. And as I said, this is about uh, cross-border tax planning. It was about uh, the obligations to report um, intermediaries. Uh, and in this case, the, uh, the court found that there was a violation of Article 7 of the Charter. Uh, the fact that EU legislation is sometimes quashed, annulled by the court is a sign of a good rule of law set up, a good rule of law system, uh, because it shows that, as I said, that sometimes the legislators gets it wrong. But I think we have to understand that there's always the intention to get it right and to to pursue those legislative, uh, this legitimate objectives with the right measure and the proportionate response. Um, it does not happen all the time, and therefore it is it is important to be in this constant dialogue, also with the bars, um, with the lawyers, with the professional, to raise their concerns, to find uh, the right balance, um, to find the, the proper and correct responses to the needs uh, of regulation uh, at an EU level and at national level. Uh, but there is no bad intention. I don't think that there is an unconscious bias uh, neither in the commission nor in the in the legislator that the lawyers would be equivalent to criminals that uh, that would rather be you know like put mm -hmm. uh, aside but i think there is um it's a question of as i said before of finding the right responses and uh, and the proportionate ones and some and usually that we get right but sometimes we don't get it right and then it's the courts to correct the legislators and that is a good sign Thank you. And I think I would agree with you that, um, especially when it comes to proportionality and, and the rule of law in general at the EU level, we can, we can be quite optimistic. And I think it is important to bear that in mind, especially in comparison with uh, countries where um, things might look differently. Um, speaking about that in conversations with attorneys from countries such as Belarus or Turkey, where the rule of law is certainly certainly under, under great pressure or close to a non-existence, the people I spoke to have highlighted that the European Union needs to put uh, an even greater emphasis on the rule of law and a free and fair justice system when it deals with non-member states. So to conclude, I want to ask you, how does the rule of law situation in a third country influence the way the European Union works with that country? Hmm. Now, when it comes to, to our relations with candidate countries, rule of law is indeed a central and a key fundamental uh, in the enlargement process. Um, and actually, one could say and, and one can observe that it was uh, done long time uh, before actually the, the European Union started to look at the rule of law situation inside the Union. Um, there has been a very strong and, um, and elaborate process, Copenhagen criteria, uh, when it comes to the rule of law um, with candidate countries and in accession processes. Um, the, we look closely in areas such as, in this context, uh, also at the independence and the functioning of the judiciary, the fight against corruption and organized crime, fundamental rights, including media freedom, protection of persons belonging to minorities. Um, and all these issues are part of the, the enlargement process. Um, when it now 
we mentioned Belarus or Turkey. Now, when, when you look a bit closer on the Western Balkan countries, uh, which are already negotiating their accession to the EU, um, Montenegro and Serbia, for instance, there is a detailed list of concrete requirements, which are called interim benchmarks, that these two countries will have to fulfill before they can move to the next stage of the accession negotiations and to start closing chapters on other policy areas, such as competition, agriculture, energy, in the negotiations. So these, these come before, if you want to say, those rule of law uh, benchmarks. And these benchmarks, in fact, they require deep reforms of the judicial system, the setting up of institutions, for instance, to fight corruption, the adoption of legislation and the alignment of existing national legislation with the EU key and the European rule of law standards. Uh, and finally, it's necessary to, to, um, to demonstrate that concrete and tangible results in these areas have actually been achieved. So it's not only about changing the law, but also changing the realities uh, on the ground. We monitor this progress, the Commission monitors uh, this progress uh, in these areas very closely and on a yearly basis has to present um, in the enlargement uh, package communication a detailed assessment of each of the candidates' progress with this set of concrete recommendations. And the Commission also assesses whether an overall balance is ensured for each negotiation country between progress under the rule of law chapters on the one hand and progress in the accession negotiations across chapters on the others. And now, when you come to say, like, how does it affect, how does it influence? For example, if there is serious backsliding in the area of the rule of law, it could even lead to the suspension of accession negotiations. Now, the focus on rule of law is also reflected in the financial assistance instruments for the candidate countries, um, where the strengthening of the rule of law is, is among, again, one of the key objectives of the assistance. And similarly, as in the context of accession negotiations, also as regards financial assistance, these, this could be suspended or, or, um, or stopped uh, in the event of the degradation of democratic standards, of human rights, or the rule of law by one of the beneficiary, the, the, the candidate country. So there is a close monitoring and there are means to respond um, in terms of uh, when there would be uh, not a forward or progressive movement, but, uh, but steps back, backsliding. Um, there are means to, to respond to these uh, situations. Well, Florian, thank you very much for talking to us and for your, for your perspective. Thanks a lot to you and, and for your interest in these important topics. This has been the sixth and second to last episode of Defending the Defenders, the rule of law podcast by Verfassungsblock in Deutscher Anwaltverein. We will, be, uh, we will be back on Tuesday, the day of the endangered lawyer, with our final episode, where I will talk to Margaret Satterthwaite, the special rapporteur for the independence of judges and lawyers at the European... This was... This has been the sixth and second to last episode of Defending the Defenders, the rule of law podcast by Verfassungsblock and Deutscher Anwaltverein. We will be back on Tuesday, the day of the endangered lawyer, with our final episode, 
where I will talk to the United Nations Special Rapporteur for the Independence of Judges and Lawyers, Margaret Satterthwaite. See you then.